0: You are listening to True Psychiatry. This is a second episode where I explain why I say psychiatry is changing and why I say that psychiatry, as we know it, is dying. The motivation for this conversation came from a uh, conversation I had with a colleague of mine, Dr. Holtzman, after he listened to the episode with Dr. Aderholt. Um, And Dr. Atherholt, what he did was he covered uh, what's happening in the in the sort of a world scenario of treatment of uh, psychosis and you know schizophrenia related presentations? And one of the things that Dr. Holtzman, Dr. Holtzman is a very smart guy, and he is a flexible thinker. He's kind of open to change. But his comment about that interview was that um, he said there's a lot of cognitive dissonance on his own words, and what he was referring to was. Uh,
1: some of the recommendations that Dr. Ederhall made compared to APA. So basically, we're going to start with um,
0: German guidelines say that if a patient who has or has had or has met criteria for uh,
1: uh,
0: schizophrenia at some point asks to come off antipsychotics, you should offer a taper which contrasts with APA recommendations that don't really cover those topics and basically say that if a medication worked to suppress psychotic symptoms in the beginning, you should continue to give it. So that recommendation comes from a set of uh, known facts and a whole lot of logic. So one of the, the first one is the fact that we have a high dropout rate. So between one and a half and two years, 75% of
1: patients taking antipsychotics, that patients that have met criteria for a psychotic disorder, 75% of those patients will drop the use of uh, antipsychotics. And
0: it happens in a sort of a gradual fashion with something like 25% dropping every six months or so. Um, now, that will make you think, oh, well, but that's an argument to actually continue to give the medication. Um, and encourage compliance, as we say, Um, the limitation with that is not only, and gladly, we have no means to do so, um, also, there's something called antipsychotic uh, hypersensitivity psychosis. And what that is, is, in a short sentence, is the withdrawal from antipsychotics. So the withdrawal of antipsychotics involves psychosis. The way we believe it works is that once you block your receptors of uh, dopamine, the uh, postsynaptic neuron will overexpress those receptors because the brain probably has feedback mechanisms that we are unaware of and they're evident because otherwise that uh, over uh, uh, upregulation of receptors would not exist, but we know for a fact it, it exists. And, that's one of the mechanisms of tolerance to every medication, right? So you block those receptors with an antipsychotic, the, the brain um, overexpresses those receptors to sort of to compensate the blockage. Now you have also a naturally occurring dopamine in the synapses. Once you remove the the, the blockage of the Receptors. Once you remove the medication, which could be caused even by natural fluctuations in the in the in the levels of those medications, according to maybe one missed dose or the proper metabolism of the drug itself. Um, But once you remove that blockage, now you have an excess of receptors, and that excess of receptors with the available naturally occurring dopamine will result in an increased dopaminergic tone in the brain. Now, an increased dopaminergic tone is what we achieve when we do a lot of cocaine or uh, take a lot of Adrol. And we know that those two things will lead to psychotic symptoms. So not surprisingly, the withdrawal from antipsychotics is associated with psychosis, even we know that can happen even if someone have, have never ha- uh, has uh, have never uh, uh, experienced Psychosis before in his life, just the plain withdrawal of antipsychotics may involve psychosis. Um, so knowing that, in that that knowing that this is an actual phenomenon, this is a real thing, uh, and knowing that a lot of patients will uh, uh, stop medications uh, abruptly, and knowing that that is a recipe for disaster when it comes to uh, readmissions and things like that. Um, well now it starts making sense that if a patient requests for a taper, we should actually offer a taper and it should be a very slow taper, right? Um,
1: because a fast taper could result in, um, um in uh, an exacerbation or a, a resurgence of uh, psychotic symptoms. Now, we know that the efficacy of the antipsychotics is not wonderful. And there are,
0: there's a this, there's a big study being conducted right now, one of three maybe, called Hamlet, where they are trying to answer the question if we should or should not continue
1: antipsychotics chronically. Now, this question is a very complicated one, because if you have a good response to treatment, how long are you supposed to
0: keep taking if you take into account your training in this country and my training we were said that it came to stay psychosis came to stay and the patients have to take medications all their lives but the data to confirm that impression is really not there and someone's going to say well you know there were taper studies and i'm going to cover one of them um and there's evidence of efficacy in the beginning of the treatment that is clear right and we're going to question what those parameters of efficacy are, um, but also there's not a lot. We didn't we, we we didn't pay too much attention in those studies of discontinuation to the taper itself, because a fast taper would confirm the hypothesis wrongfully, but it would confirm our thoughts that okay he should have stayed on medication, but a very slow taper would prove us wrong, and in fact it seems to do. So. Um, So the question of how well uh, antipsychotics work in the long term um, also uh, leads to other questioning. One of them is, what are the parameters of treatment success that we're looking for? In short-term studies, like 12 months, what they're looking for is re-hospitalizations and the presence of positive symptoms. Usually they use the PANS, right? The positive and negative uh, symptom scale. However, We know that antipsychotics not only don't make a dental negative symptoms, they actually worsen them. Uh, They also have a lot of cognitive side effects because antipsychotics are not antipsychotics. They are anti all brain activity. They reduce your attention, your short-term recall, your working memory. They reduce even your coordination. Literally, it reduces all brain activity, including possibly psychotic symptoms. Um, As a result of that, it's reasonable to expect that these medications will be hampering what maybe we could call recovery, meaning um, these medications will be preventing someone of uh, operating at a um, uh, optimal capacity from a cognitive perspective to have a family,
1: go to work and uh, go to school, have a meaningful life. The question, that uh, someone may uh, raise with that
0: is, hey, I have seen that actually antipsychotics improve cognition in people going through psychosis. And usually that statement comes from a misconception of what antipsychotics are doing for people that are going through agitation,
1: where antipsychotics can actually be somehow, somehow helpful, for sure. So if you cannot sit to take a cognitive test, yeah. Antipsychotics will improve your performance, not by making you smarter, but
0: slowing you down enough to sit and take a cognitive test. Now, we know the damage antipsychotics the cause as well. Besides cognitive side effects, besides the negative symptoms, we know they hamper your health. They hold back your health in many ways. They cause obesity, high cholesterol, uh, diabetes, uh, movement disorders, which is... Uh, among the one uh, of the, the the most concerning ones, and what kind of evidence do we have to say that antipsychotics are holding people back? So there is this Japanese meta-analysis that uh, reviewed maybe two dozens
1: or more of uh, uh, discontinuation uh, studies. Basically, they took a bunch of uh, this
0: studies where antipsychotics were being tapered, and and the tapers were not done, like, with particular attention. You know, they they're fairly fast. But, and what they found is that once the, um, uh, the doses of the antipsychotics w- went below equivalence of uh, four milligrams of Haldol, four milligrams of Haldol, think about it, how many patients you have had on four milligrams of Haldol, or 200 milligrams of Thorazine. Okay, that's the equivalence uh, regarding um, dopamine blockage. Um, once the, the doses were went below that
1: level, patients started to have more admissions. Again, two things. All the way from the top dose that they were taking,
0: rarely four or five, usually 10, 20, even more, um, equivalents of Heldol. Um, and which to give an idea for olanzapine is 7.5 milligrams. Um, so basically from there to this, from the top dose to the dose where they started to have more admissions on average, which was this equivalence of four milligrams of haldol all patients started to have improvement in cognition and functioning. Now, this piece of information is very important. It means at the very minimal, that we are overprescribing our
1: patients. And that is very concerning. If there is a chance that these medications are helpful at a lower dose, but passing that dose we're actually hurting our patients, I would like to know. I would like to practice psychiatry, taking that into account. Now, APA recommendations come usually from short-term studies with a few exceptions. In short-term studies, you are trying to suppress positive symptoms. Hearing voices, for example, you're suppressing agitation and you're preventing hospitalizations. But those two criteria together are hardly reflective of what I would like to do for my patients as a doctor. Meaning that even though psychiatry has divorced itself from psychology and um, it's fair to say, unfortunately, that psychiatry is um,
0: psychiatry is is a medical field that has no values. We have detached ourselves from the philosophical part. What do we want for our patients? What is our goal? What is our overarching goal with this thing? Do we want them to just avoid the hospital and not hear voices? Is that what we do? Or is there's a value to say, no, I want them to have a full, meaningful life and I'm willing to do whatever it takes within this domain of drugs and psychotherapy to help them to get there. I'm not just focused on suppressing symptoms why do i say that because there's a lot of people out there and you guys may have listened to my interview with will hall and um dr uh, uh bassman that are people that have experienced psychosis will Hall said i still have symptoms but i'm off meds and in the guy has a radio show and he's articulate is not all stiff and held back by the usual effect of antipsychotics. He has a full, meaningful life. And he said, I still suffer. I still have tough days. I have tough times
1: where I don't want to talk to anyone. But he's living his life. He's not sitting on his couch. In a sense, paralyzed by antipsychotics. So I don't want to sound overly dramatic here, but...
0: The, the short-term studies usually are looking to that what they're calling success is it's subduing people. And I'm not, I'm not bringing this up in a sense of, oh, how dramatic. No, no, no. My point is, what are our success parameters? What do we call a success story when it comes to that? Do we have any more evidence? to support this discussion? Well, the World Health Organization did a study back in the day where they wanted to compare the results of schizophrenia or patients who have met criteria for schizophrenia in developed countries versus developing countries. The granted World Health Organization, a lot of politics involved, we have to take this information with a grain of salt. But what they found and then they confirmed the finding uh, maybe a decade later was that Patients in developing countries
1: had better results in general compared to developed countries. Being the main difference, the main variable, the access to drugs, so less access to drugs, less
0: access to many options of drugs, resulted in better results, more recovery. Um, You know, having a job, a family, schooling, having an actual life which clearly, clearly contrasts with the majority, not all, but the majority of patients that we see in psychiatric units
1: or that we keep in outpatient uh, care with, with higher doses of antipsychotics. Um, there are a few studies, but I'm going to cover them elsewhere. There's two studies, one that followed
0: seven years, um, patients that responded to antipsychotics and then antipsychotics were discontinued. And they were revisited seven years later, uh, compared to a group that didn't discontinue the antipsychotic, antipsychotic despite success of therapy. And um, what they found was that the, 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 the group that was off antipsychotics was doing better. The other study did that in 10 years, um, and it was heavily financed by pharma, but... But I want to look to the data and I'm struggling to understand their data. So I'm, I'm asking the help of a uh, biostatistician uh, to move on. So that's going to be an episode, uh, a separated episode. And because of that discrepancy, uh, there's other studies now being conducted trying to answer the question. Because actually the, the question, even though you never heard this question in your training, because that's a, that's a trait of our American training. How long should I keep the antipsychotics and how, when should I start tapering? We don't ask those questions. We were sold that we should just keep prescribing. But scientifically, that question wasn't answered yet. You know, there's really no clear answer to how long we should keep the treatment, if successful, and or the question of why continue if it's unsuccessful, because that's another thing we do. When antipsychotics don't work, we keep giving them. We keep pushing. We keep pushing. We keep pushing. We don't have, apparently, any other alternatives we switch to clausoral and then we add another antipsychotic for refractory cases, we don't know what we're treating because we don't know what schizophrenia is.
1: God forbid, of course, asking to the patients. So there is one study um, that... um, um, An analysis of views about supported reduction or discontinuation of
0: antipsychotic treatment among people with schizophrenia and other psychotic disorders by uh, criline, preeb Morant and collaborators. So I'm gonna read here. Answers to closed questions revealed that one third were content to take antipsychotic medication on a long-term basis. There you have it. A further 19% accepted it reluctantly. 18% of participants reported that they were not satisfied taking antipsychotic medication long-term. And 24% accepted taking it for the present but are not interested in taking it forever. When asked their views about the possibility of uh, discontinuing antipsychotic medication with professional support and supervision, almost a third of patients reported that they would definitely like to do this, and another 21% said that um, they would have some concern, but they would be willing to try. And and why the reasons? The reasons are obvious.
1: It's a very... uh, it's a very damaging class of medications, even though it, of course it has uh, a uh, a um, use. Um, as I said, I'm gonna
0: skip. No, this one I'm not gonna skip. So basically these questions are being, are being asked everywhere in the world, right? And we spoke about open dialogue. You probably heard my, uh, or you will hear, listen to my interview with uh, Anna Florence. And we have more coming up on Open Dialogue, um, which is a, a way of treating psychosis that avoids antipsychotics. And by their report, they have a recovery rates that are more than twice the ones we have. Um, but basically, these questions are happening in the world of psychiatry to
1: the point that um, uh, a consensus was put together by with big names in the field, all
0: over from all around the world, to review the claims and I, and I read part of it. So this is uh, this is the, the title of it is the long term effects the long term effects of uh, antipsychotic medications on med, on clinical course in schizophrenia by Goff and collaborators. So uh, concerns this is what it says concerns have been raised that treatment with antipsychotic medication might adversely affect long term outcomes for people with schizophrenia. The evidence uh, cited for these concerns include the association of antipsychotic treatment with brain volume reduction, it's true, uh, and with dopamine receptor sensitization, which is the uh, what I just mentioned, uh, the uh, antipsychotic hypersensitivity psychosis, which might uh, make patients vulnerable to relapse and illness progression. In other words, antipsychotics cause psychosis. Uh, So, an international group of experts was convened to examine findings from clinical and basic research relevant to these concerns. And then they concluded that little evidence was found to support a negative long-term effect of initial or maintenance
1: antipsychotic treatment on outcomes compared with withholding treatment. Big consensus. Now I'm going to read the disclosure
0: section, and you guys can have your own conclusions. So the main author research, uh, the the first name received research support from Avenir Pharmaceuticals. Another author received research support from Beringer, Ingelheim, Jensen, Lundbeck, Otsuka. Those are our pharma companies, if you don't know. Also got honoraria for serving as a consultant and on advisory boards for Allergan, uh, Dainipon, Sumitomo, Gideon Richter, Jensen, Lundbeck, Otsuka, Takeda, and Teva. Is a had uh, speaker's fees and travel support from AOP Orphan, Dainipon Subitomo, Gideon Richter, Jensen Lundbeck, Pfizer, Otsuka, and Teva. Another author receives research support from Allergan, BioAdvantex, Genetech, and Otsuka. Another author has received consulting fees from Alkermes, Forest, Forum, Gideon Richter, Jensen like Minerva Neuroscience, and Sunovion and speaker's fees from Jensen Sillag and Lilly. Another author has received grants from Astellas Pharmaceutical, Daini Ponsumitomo Pharma, Eisai, Eli Lilly, Meiji Seika Pharmaceuticals, Muchida Pharmaceuticals, Novartis, Utsuka Pharmaceuticals, Shinogi. He got speaker's honoraire from Daini Ponsumitomo Pharma, Eli Lilly, Jensen Pharmaceutical.
1: Uh, Meiji, Sika, Pharma, Pharma, uh, Otsuka, Pharmaceuticals, Pfizer. You got the picture. Um, finally, the other problem we have is that uh, how
0: reliable is our diagnostic criteria? We have pre-psychotic disorder up to a month, schizophrenia form disorder, looks like schizophrenia but resolves within six
1: months, and schizophrenia, Last past six months and has negative symptoms. Uh, Question, why once you reach six months, we are sure that they're gonna have the same problems forever? Why we don't have a one year cutoff? Like we have a one month, six months,
0: one month, up to a month from one month to six months and more than six months, then it's all life. Why don't we have a cutoff at one year? Why don't we have a cutoff at two years? We know it's real. People have experienced psychotic symptoms in the past. We don't know where they're coming from. Our, You may say, oh, maybe it was associated with low mood. Who's to say it's the same or is not the same thing? We don't know what causes schizophrenia. So we know some people is go, are going to say, and I have in my personal relations in this field because of the people I talk to, They're going to say, for me, antipsychotics were very important and they're still important because they suppress a very limiting psychosis.
1: But I also have a lot of people that I know and I keep knowing more that, no, they did better off antipsychotics. But that's not how we offer this treatment. What I'm trying to say is that it doesn't seem that we have enough Uh, uh, uniformity
0: is not a homogeneous presentation, first of all. You're not going to find two schizophrenias that are the same thing. And we don't have a same response to treatment. It's very individualized. And it may be useful some points, but not all the time. But then if you take into consideration the the
1: sensitization of the receptors, um, the difficulty with tapering those medications, we have to ask ourselves should we be giving this drug to everyone as we do should we should we change the way we do it should we give smaller doses should we focus on tranquilization
0: instead of symptom suppression Unless the patient asks for it, of course, and he says, listen, I need to suppress this symptom because I cannot live with it. What if the patient says, I can live with it. I prefer to live with it. Shouldn't we be considering these questions? And if, and if we're not, and I know we're not, why not? Now, were you, this is my last question, is were you aware of these discussions? Were you aware these discussions are happening? Or were you aware that we don't have a scientific answer? that we have contradictory uh, research saying is good in the long term, is not good in the long term. Were you aware of that? And if you're not aware of that, what were you aware of? And then ask yourself, if you didn't hear of these studies that contradict um, our
1: commonly held beliefs in the field involving psychosis, who is financing the studies that you get in touch with? Who's financing the rationale that we are taught and that we apply on our daily uh, practice? It's very anxiety-provoking for me, particularly, because I don't want to hurt
0: people. We are mental health professionals. What are we trying to do? We, cannot, we have to stop pretending that psychiatry is a medical field like any other medical field it is not. It's way more complex by the nature of what we do and involves philosophical questions that maybe other medical fields don't. Anyway, thank you for listening to True Psychiatry. You can find this episode on YouTube and in all podcast platforms.